Welcome back, Rebels. Adam, thank you very much for this week taking time out of your week to chat to my friend who uh, contacted me and had some photography issues that I had no idea about, so I sent him your way. So I just want to say thank you for that. It's interesting, actually, because so many people within industries don't really support each other. I think there seems to be this idea of I help someone else and they might get a job and I won't get one. And it's kind of not really a very supportive cheerleadery kind of space. Like I get a lot of messages from people who are studying photography at university and have got questions around things or people who are just getting started in their career. And they'll generally like message me and then I'll kind of message them back, give them some advice and stuff. And more often than not they'll get back and be like thank you so much for this like I've reached out to loads of different people and no one's helped me and I think it's so important within a community to start helping people because it's through doing that that like people are going to grow quicker people are going to like enjoy that like for me it's all about I want as many people as possible to enjoy their lives doing what they do so if I can help in some way to do that then like, of course I'm going to go and do that and I think people will always remember that time you went out and helped them as well so it's like in future like even if you help 100 people and 99 of them never come back like one person is probably going to come back and be like oh well, I can't do this job maybe try this person or I'm going to recommend this person because my style's not the right kind of fit for you like for me all the time if someone reaches out to me and says oh like I've got this kind of shoot and it's not the kind of thing that I want to be doing, I'll be like, oh, well, maybe talk to this photographer instead because their work aligns more with what you actually want. Like, I know you want to work with me, but like, you're going to get a better product if you go and work with this other person. I think just doing that within your industry is so important. So the relationships you build, if you start giving out work to other people or start helping other people get work, like you will find stuff comes back to you as soon as your style aligns more closely with something that they've been asked for. Yeah, people are always amazed when we reply to their DMs uh, at Rebels Create on Instagram. You guys can reach out if you have any questions. And we, it takes us a while, but we do we do get to all of them. Um, you will typically get a voice note back from us because it's that's a better use of our yeah. time. It's a quicker way for us to to engage with you. But a lot of you put us on a pedestal, and I I think actively like throughout this podcast, one thing that we really try and do is is to for you to not put us on a pedestal we've been everywhere on the ladder like wherever you guys are we've probably been there at some point so it's, it's very important for us to actively like say don't put us on a pedestal like we achieved this so that means if you look at and and every guest that we have because i i think i definitely used to put guests on a pedestal and then you have someone as established as as emma gannon questioning herself and asking us like well do you think i should do this and we're like what why are you asking us we're nobody and 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 then you just realize that all all humans are just the same i think helping people i mean we wouldn't obviously wouldn't do this bloody podcast if we weren't all about helping people but yeah you 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 really mentioned it there the the sort of scarcity mindset we had a, a job come in recently to graffiti life and and it was can you do us a street art tour and it's like yes we we could do that. We could work out how to do that. We could outsource it or pay someone else to do it and take a percentage or whatever. It's like, I just, like I'd rather give that to, to someone who does. And I know a guy who does street art tours on skates. Uh, I just met him while I was painting in the street. Yeah. Really nice guy getting his business off the ground. Uh, this was a 2000 pound client just like, and, and for him at the beginning of his journey, like really, really useful, like two grand. Lovely. Thank you for an hour's work. Boom. Um, just pass that straight over because I know he'll do a better job of it. Not having that scarcity mindset of like having to grab everything that comes across your desk just because you you might be able to work out how to do it. Stay in your lane, like know what you're really good at and then and then share. Like I think 
work and the world is abundant. And even though we are going through a rough patch at the moment where certain industries, certainly work is is not abundant and fingers crossed everything's going to get back to normal eventually. But we've been speaking to people recently uh, who even are in sectors that are really, really badly affected and are still managing to make wicked livings because they've just managed to do clever things, mostly online, using their, their skills, their knowledge and completely offering a new service or product from from what they do so there is an abundance and I, I, I and I guess when we interviewed Martina Marsh and what she was saying the other week was as soon as you get to a place like seek out the creatives and as soon as you surround yourself by those creatives rather than going or oh, let me knock on the the front door of Adidas and see if they've got any opportunities for a creative it's like no align yourselves with the creatives and maybe the poet that you know gets an opportunity in that's not right for them but it is right for you and just sharing in that wealth and building that support system around and I think that is such a beautiful thing and I think it 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 pays dividends I I mean there's there's people I know who've gone about the other way of business of that kind of very very closed off no opportunities for everyone else and and also and trying to put their competitors out of business and it's worked I've seen people do really really well on on that it's just not my way of doing things and it's not the the way that I enjoy doing things. And I think actually business-wise and also personally-wise, I've just result, we've been much better off in going the kindness route and the everything is abundant and the sharing route. It leads back into specialising and just knowing what you're good at and doing just that. I find that the people who have done all of the little things, have taken on all of the stuff, after doing that for a certain amount of years, they're not particularly amazing at anything. I suppose it falls into the jack-of-all-trades metaphor of like, they kind of do everything like, okay, but no one's an absolute expert or something. Whereas I think as soon as you start to pass off those things that aren't exactly aligned with what you do, then you spend more time doing the things that you do do and you get better at those. And you get and because that keeps happening, you get so much better at doing the thing that you specialize in that more jobs come into you for the things that you specialize so actually by giving out those things it might seem like in the short term it's like a little hit of maybe some cash or your time but actually in the long run you set yourself up so much better for being an expert at something and getting known for that specific thing that you do rather than just being someone who they'll come to when they need anything doing it like i feel like graphic design and like websites and anyone because i've always done those for our businesses and i think if you've got that skill set there's so much things you can do there's so many things you can say yes to because to correct like everything these days is digital it's all online and everything can be touched in some form by digital design so i think that's somewhere where designers get really stuck is they'll do flyers one week websites another week logos another week and they're just doing all of these different things all the time that they're not becoming particularly specialized in anything they're just saying yes to all the stuff and then after doing that for years they then wonder why the bigger jobs aren't coming in and it's because they've just been taking these little jobs all the time like the bigger jobs are generally the ones that are more specialized where someone's like oh i want that specific thing and they're the only person that i can get it from if you fall into that category of just someone who will take anything and say yes to anything then you'll always get known for that and people come to you for that and the pay won't be there because 
it's not specialized it's just like something that oh, i can get anyone to do that but i've used this person before so i'll get him to do it instead and you get stuck in this trap of just doing all the things that come at you rather than actually the things that you want to be doing and like at the end of the day that is the most important thing you should be doing the things that you want to be doing because it's like that's where you're going to find your happiness that's where you're going to find your fulfillment in the doing the things that you want to be doing so yeah it is so important to start supporting each other and start helping each other passing off jobs to people who you think could do it better building up communities of people because because if you're say a freelancer and you specialize in one thing you can always act like an agency with a bunch of people where you're the great logo designer and you've got a mate who's the best website designer and you've got someone else who's the best at this and as a collective you can start passing things between you. And I think having that form of community, like Martina Marsh is the perfect example as well. Cause like she's moved to London, put herself in a creative environment surrounded by other creatives and the work gets passed between them. Like you create a bit of like a creative club. And it reminds me too, of when we talked to Laird Hamilton, where he was talking about how to become the best surfer in the world, you need to go where the best surfers are. And you put yourself in those environments where people like you are, and by doing that, then you're going to go and meet the best people. You're going to connect with the best people. You're all going to get specialized and support each other. And I think that that's a much better, healthier environment to be in for your happiness and for your kind of creative passion, endeavor, whatever it is that you're doing, than just being someone who just takes every little thing, doesn't really specialize in anything and doesn't really support anyone kind of like goes out on their own. 100%. Championing others can also be really, really beneficial for yourself. I, I don't think you should do it because you just want the rewards for yourself. Like that would be quite cynical. But if you genuinely, I, I was talking to someone recently who had had kind of issues about posting uh, her artwork on her personal Instagram. And really after a long conversation, it got down to the fact that really what she enjoys doing is helping other artists. And she makes her own practice for herself because she wants to stay relevant. She feels like if she's teaching young people that she, she does need her own practice in order to inform what she's, what she's teaching them. But really posting on social media for her isn't, isn't the thing. And we, we kind of came to this, this realization of like, she's feeling all of this pressure of, I must post on Instagram and all of this stuff that, that people feel. And we realize, okay, well, no, you don't need to post on Instagram for your own artwork. You can just have that as a private practice. And then, the thing that sets you on fire is talking about other people, sharing their journeys. I just started following this this account on Instagram. I think they've got like 500 followers or something. It's a very, yeah. very small account, new account. Uh, it's called Burst London. I think it's burst.ldn. And I just think, I just, I hope and pray they keep going. I feel like they could be the vice of the future. They could be the creative boom of the future. They are just finding cool young artists and they are posting about them and doing it really authentically and really well. So I think, I mean, I mentioned Creative Boom there. This week's guest is Katie Cowan from Creative Boom. She's done exactly that. Her career has been all about championing creativity. Um, she's, a, she's a very creative person in her own right, but she's not an artist or a, or a digital designer or, some, or someone that's trying to get their, her own work seen. Her own work is journalism is reporting on other creatives is giving tips on how to make it in the industry and she does it brilliantly well and she's one of our favorite people so here we go this week's episode is katie cow hi katie hello there hey how's it going 
oh yeah you know doing okay <laughs> well obviously a weird question in this time yeah and I've got nothing to complain about you know I've been really lucky these last 12 months so you know I, I feel like it would be a bit wrong of me to sort of say oh you know I'm not doing great but you know I'm just I'm just human aren't I like everybody else doesn't doesn't matter that I haven't lost a job it's it's pandemic guilt I had a big dose of it the other day I was trying yeah. to articulate in this Instagram post that whilst I have had the like the best year and like the most and business wise the most success and and creatively and all of these things were going like tick 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 I haven't seen my mum in over a year and it's like and I yeah. feel bad for complaining and it's it's pandemic guilt and I think there's a lot of people going through it because we all know that there's yeah. there's whatever stage of the ladder we're on there's always someone below us and there's always someone that's not doing as well whilst there are things that you can go oh well this is going great and this is going great that you can kind of hold on to it's I think it's still okay to feel shit because we are all collectively going through this thing where like I like I I just want to give my mates a cuddle let alone my mum and my family definitely I've got a really good friend who was getting dead excited about finally following her dream and buying a, an at-home fondue set <laughs> <laughs> um, she really wants to make cheese like melted cheese but like um, realised that probably now wasn't the time for her anyway to invest in something like that. So I was like, oh, that's so sad. So now I'm thinking, oh, shall I get her a fondue set just to sort of cheer her up? I th and I think with the guilt, I, I, I haven't like been deliberately going out of my way to do things for other people to alleviate that. I think I've just felt the need to do more stuff because I, I love what I do with Creative Boom. I love the, the chance to write about other artists and designers. I say other, I'm not an artist or a designer. I just love what they do. Just to sort of talk about their work and give them that kind of voice. This year, I've also been sort of diving into mentoring a couple of people as well and, mm. and doing whatever I can. And when people reach out, I'll, I'll just try and take five or 10 minutes to just write a nice email or message back. Because that's, that's one of the things that's blown me away the most about the last year, just the kindness that I've come across from people. These, these messages of people reaching out. And I'm sure you get it with your podcast as well, because I, as you know, I'm running a podcast now, which actually, thanks to you guys, you got me up and running because you gave me loads of really helpful advice. I bet you get loads of lovely messages because you get to sort of put yourself out there and, and people, I guess, connect with that. It, weirdly, podcasting has been the one thing keeping me sane. Yeah, it's it's our chance to connect, isn't it? Definitely. And you, you make good connections with people, good friendships. Yeah, I was saying to someone like yesterday or the day before, before, like it's weird. Like, I kind of don't feel like I've missed out on that social aspect throughout the whole thing, even though I've seen none of my friends for a year or my family. Like, it's that's crazy. But then I still meet so many people and have really deep conversations with them that I feel like that social little bit of you that kind of needs topping up is always being replenished because you've got this format of a podcast. And that's why I'm kind yeah. of just a massive advocate that everyone should start a podcast, whether it gets shown to the world or not. Like um, we had a guest on a few weeks ago and I was talking to him yesterday or the day before about podcasting. And he was like, actually, I might start one up just for my family and I'll interview every single person in my family. And then just the rest of the family can listen to it. Like you don't have to announce that to iTunes or Spotify or the world that this thing exists. But actually, by putting that out there, you're going to have deeper connections with people and it's going to be interesting for everyone else involved as well. Like you're going to have questions with your family and meet people in your, well, obviously not meet people in your family, but like get to know them better than you would if you just sat and had dinner with them. Yeah, definitely. It's such a nice experience to go through because you, you're obviously sort of getting to know that person. And, and 
it was interesting when I first started doing this, um, somebody said to me, I can't remember who it was. They said, it's interesting how powerful putting a microphone in front of somebody else is because it really sort of gets people to open up. They might start off very nervous, but you'll find that they reveal so much more about themselves than they would if it was just a sort of telephone interview or even a face-to-face interview. It's quite interesting. So I have found that to be the case. And I feel a little bit bad afterwards because you do feel like you've robbed someone a little bit of their kind of energy. And it's like, it's almost like a, <laughs> if I, not that I've done this, but it's like a one night stand. <laughs> you know, you kind of, you, you, you pour all your energy and they give so much back. And then it's like, well, thanks for that. And then you go. <laughs> and then you sort of like, obviously shattered afterwards. I said on Twitter <laughs> earlier, because I said, like, I feel like baby Yoda when um, he's done his sort of Jedi tricks, yeah, you know, when he's yeah. done his little hand and he's going like that. And he just he just passes out afterwards. I'm a bit like that, and I can imagine it's the same for the guest as well. It's you just give so much in that sort of little hour. You find that you you form a really unique relationship with that person. I interviewed someone in America a couple of months ago, and he is one of only two people that are on my Apple Watch as friends that follow. And so every day I'll get a notification to tell me that Harrison's finished his workout it's really sweet (laughs) and he still texts me and says hey how you doing and so I find the whole thing just really endearing and charming and I I, yeah I totally agree with you If, if people are listening to this and they're thinking of doing a podcast just do it don't think about it in terms of I mean I've I've always been a big believer this in this anyway I always think if you're going to start something that's going to require a lot of time and energy, do it because you want to, not because you've got this end goal of making money or becoming famous. You've got to have, you've got to do it because you love it and you love people and you want to get something out of it that isn't necessarily money or fame. And I think one thing that's really interesting, I think I heard you refer to yourself as an introvert as well. And I know that David and myself would definitely both call ourselves introverts too. And it always yeah. seems weird that we're putting our voice out to the world and we're having all these conversations yet (laughs) it's completely against what our generic character type is and I think that's why it is so draining because then when you are finished you do need that time to like really recharge and because you've put so much into having that kind of deep meaningful conversation yeah you kind of after you're like oh that's exhausting but I feel like totally so as an introvert what kind of gave you the confidence to start being start interviewing people and like getting your voice out there? I'd started off my career in journalism. I was at university just doing something as you do because you think that's what you kind of want to end up doing. <laughs> I don't think I really knew myself very well when I was 17, 18. I knew I loved writing stories and telling stories and I found other people fascinating. So journalism seemed to be a vocational route to take at university. And in the third year, my tutor, I can't remember his name, said to me that I had a very good radio voice. So and it paid better. So why didn't you consider <laughs> doing my final year? Because you had a choice. You could either do print, you could do broadcast, which was television and radio, or you could do online, which all the rest of us students would scoff at and laugh at. And we'd say, oh, you're all losers <laughs> online as if that's going to be a big thing. <laughs> um, and that was 1999. And, and oh, gosh, having Internet in the room, in our dorm rooms and going on Google, that brand new thing called Google and typing in naked men anyway (laughs) (laughs) and um so we I kind of just fell into radio I knew I wanted to write but I ended up in radio and radio was this really kind of fast-paced creative thing and all of a sudden from graduation 
I got my first job at a radio station in Stoke called Signal One. And within three weeks of working there, I was sat in a soundproof booth uh, reading the news live with everybody at the station surrounding the um, studio looking through the window watching me. And I was absolutely terrified. And this was like not so out of character of me. Why was I sort of doing these things that just were sort of putting me out of my comfort zone? And I just sort of kind of stumbled into one thing and, and the next. And I remember walking out of that booth and everybody in the station clapping because it's a thing in radio when you do your first uh, live broadcast. It's terrifying. So everybody was clapping. And then I suddenly thought, oh, I quite quite like that. And then I got used to it and then I built some skills and 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 I really enjoyed the thrill of it all and, and the meeting people and going out and finding people's stories. It was fantastic. So that's kind of how, you know, an introvert ended up in journalism and, and radio and doing these things. And then, I don't know, I guess I've just always liked pushing myself. You know, yeah. I get bored. And if you stand still, it's just, it's a bit boring, isn't it? You have to kind of you have to push yourself. You have to sort of try new things. And so life's a, an adventure, isn't it? You can't just yeah. hide away and be shy. I absolutely love that for the fact that they all clapped you. I think that is such an important thing, because especially when it's your first time, that is your most nerve wracking experience. And that's when yeah. you're going to make the decision, do I do this again? And I feel like not enough people in general life, like when someone first tries something, really claps them. And I think this is where what I've kind of like what I've noticed recently is like the younger generation they fucking clap each other all the time like I feel like there's so much kind of promise in the kind of generation coming but like kind of after us I think I know why the Instagram algorithm is so skewed now it's because every single young person fucking champions every single other person who's their friend like they're all commenting they're all liking they're all kind of shouting for each other whereas I feel like for our generations that's not necessarily happened so much so I think it's really important that we kind of take that clapping mentality and if someone tries something for the first time clap them because they've just gone through something that was scary for them and I feel like that's something that's worth championing yeah definitely it was quite unusual to to have that happen to me back then because that would have been in 2001 or two something around that time so I think there was a more kind of a get on and just do it kind of attitude back then so it was very much thrown in in, the, in at the deep end and 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 just just do it. I wouldn't know what it's like out there now, graduating during a pandemic. Good grief, poor kids. Um, I know, and I I I you know I just I feel when it all kicked off last year, I, I thought, gosh, I felt really sort of helpless and what can I do type thing. I mean, it was my immediate reaction. I thought it feels like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, all again when I started Creative Boom and had this like right, I've got to do something to give back and help people because there were so many people on Twitter back then suffering. But this time around, it was just on a completely different level. So, but then I kind of calmed down and grew a herb garden, uh, turned, a, <laughs> turned an old pallet into a herb garden and um, fixed things. And uh, yeah, did, did loads of kind of typical things. I didn't make banana bread, uh, but I did make lots of nice garlic bread. And then I sort of got myself together and I thought, well, actually, I've got this great platform. What can I do? So I just kind of went from there really and, and just got myself super busy and tried to do as much as I could and, and somehow along the line managed to find the energy to do another season of, of podcasting. I don't know how you guys do it. It's, it's exhausting. <laughs> 
But I love it. I love it. I do love it. It's the best. Do you, do you remember we did have to um, bully you into starting though? Yes, I do remember. And I'm really glad you did because I was really kind of, I was going through a phase actually in 2018, was it? I think it was when my dad had a heart attack. He's all right. He's he's absolutely fine. He's just celebrated his third birthday. He's a bit of an attention seeker, my father. He likes to um he likes to sort of say that he's got a second birthday. So he's just celebrated <laughs> his third birthday. But weirdly, it just destroyed all my confidence overnight. Mm. So anything that I'd been sort of coping with up until that point, what whatever kind of fuel was in my engine, so to speak, suddenly crumbled away. And then I was just left with these sort of vulnerable bare bones and didn't really know where I was going. I mean, it's a terrible thing when when you sort of think that you've lost a parent because it really makes you sort of take stock and, and think, oh, gosh, you know, this life isn't really that kind of permanent. Well, that's a shame. And then you have a bit of a freak out. And in my case, it was my confidence. It just sort of went. So when you sort of were saying to me, you should do a podcast, I thought, you know what? This is almost like being back at Signal One in Stoke. You know, I'm on Bambi legs. It's a whole new world for me. And I kind of need to just do something that frightens me. And I think actually it was the best thing I ever did because it's worked. And I, I've not only sort of built the confidence back up, I don't know, I've just kind of, it's really, without meaning to sound like profound, I've really kind of found myself in the last mm. couple of years. I feel like I'm in a really strong, good place and it's, it's great. And I'm so, it's so strange how like a little kind of scary experience, like starting something like a podcast or, or starting something new or learning something new can just bring that spark in you. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, a chat with Debbie Millman can do that to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she was lovely. She was great. I had to, I was a bit nervous. Yes, so were we. (laughs) Yeah, we were well Oh, yeah. I had to help her, uh, you know, get set up because obviously everything's at home now. When did you interview Debbie? 2019, wasn't it? Did you get to meet her in person? Yeah, we did. We went to her office, which was amazing. Oh, amazing. See her studio where she records and things. Yeah, because we were like in her office for like 20, 30 minutes before she arrived. So we just kind of sat there and like you've got that's the worst when you've got like a really extended period of time before yes. you actually you're like you're just overthinking everything. And yes. then just sat in her room like looking through, like looking at all this stuff and you're like, oh, there's a signed copy of that. And there's a signed copy of that. Oh, there's wow. a book signed by Tim Ferriss. And it's just like you're this is mental sweaty palms and racing heart (laughs) we definitely had a racing heart because we went to the wrong place to start so i had to run across town to the right place oh (laughs) no it's always the way isn't it always the way with a a backpack full of equipment oh it's so heavy and now you're getting to do it all remote and but it's like for the three of us well like when would we get when would we get the chance to sit down and and have an hour-long chat with a legend like that so it's 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 been exactly the same experience for for us and that, i think that was why we sort of really really wanted you to get into the game because we knew that you were coming at it with an existing audience like for us we started sort of with with nothing so and getting traffic yeah. to a podcast is like really tricky but that's really why we difficult. knew for you it's like for most people we say if you're if you're wanting to start a podcast you've got to be so serious about it because it's such a slog to get people to actually listen yeah. but we knew that it as really soon as is. people saw like over the last 10 years, well, longer, you've you've built up enough trust with people that they know they're at least going to sample the podcast because they've got so much value from from the blog and the website. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I did definitely had a very lucky head start. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I, I didn't really start it for any other reason other than my own personal 
um, kind of creative passion because it was a sort of chance to get back into radio and do what I love, which is talk to people and find out their stories. And so when I was sort of doing it all, I kind of thought, should I listen to David and Adam? Should I listen to their podcast? No. No, oh, thanks. Because they're, they're they're clearly <laughs> clearly no. I I haven't I haven't ever listened to your podcast. I think I listened to a clip, but I haven't listened to Debbie's. I haven't listened to. Oh mind you, I might have listened to her Paula Sher interview from years ago, but I haven't listened to anyone because and and this isn't for any other. You know, it's not to insult you or anything. It's just if I do, that'll be it. I won't do anything. <laughs> I just ha- <laughs> I have to I have to come at it from a completely fresh perspective yeah and just do it and i think when i'm when i dare i'll probably you know listen to other people's and then think okay i'm doing okay <laughs> i'm doing all right do you find you suffer with comparison quite a lot no not really maybe now and again i'll go oh sugar maybe i'm not doing stuff as good as i could be and i think that's healthy i think it's good to sometimes look at what's out there and do that comparison but i don't think it's healthy to dwell on it all the time i think it's good to sort of take a step back if if you find yourself spiraling and perhaps sort of focusing too much on the competition and what other people are doing and it's good to take a step back and just say well i'm not them and i can never be them and i could you know like any of any of us we could sort of copy other people um we can be inspired by them definitely but really you're you and what you do is very unique so as long as you sort of focus on what you're good at and your theme and your angle, because we've all got our own way of doing things, then you've got that strength and the competition doesn't really then matter. Also, I think if anyone out there is listening and they're worried about their competition, they should ask themselves why. Usually it's just a case of, you know, take like I say, just taking a step back and looking at what you're doing yourself rather than doing that sort of side by side comparison, because we're all on our different kind of journeys. And that competitor over there might be further down the road than you. So seemingly quite right. They they might be doing better than you. They might have better clients and what have you. They, may ha- they might have more experience. But I think if you just take a step back and be a bit kinder on yourself and say, okay, well, these are my strengths. And also, for goodness sake, I'm only just starting. So let's see how this goes. And in that same vein, that's why I didn't really listen to anybody else before I started the podcast, because I just thought I'm going to do my own thing and develop my style, build my confidence, make all the mistakes and allow myself to be a beginner. And if my audience, whom I've already got, which by the way, added way, way loads of anxiety to the to the launch because I was like, oh, they're going to be, well, I don't know what they're going to be expecting. Maybe they're going to be expecting top notch quality. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to hope that they're going to be the kind community they've always been and allow me to be a bit a beginner and make some mistakes and and it's turned out all right <laughs> it's, well, it's doing okay and i'm loving it <laughs> i have listened to your show and it's very bloody good oh so. now i feel bad so, yeah. <laughs> now, now i feel awful no it's fine no, I, to- I totally understand and i think i think it's it's very good you can you can go two ways with it you can either sort of like go very insular and and so that you make sure that your that your product is completely unique or you can be like Adam and I, which is basically devouring any single podcast that we can find. But I think that for us, we, I think that the, when you, ha- when you podcast for this amount of time, 
your true self has to come forward because you can't hold it back. So no. as much as we, as much as I adore the the Tim Ferrisses or the Gary V's or the or the Debbie Millmans of this world, it's like me and Adam couldn't we couldn't replicate what they're doing. We had to find our own style because if we try, we'd get so tired so quickly, and we wouldn't be able to hold up the charade of of doing it under the guise of trying to to compete with someone else. It's like real life, though, isn't it? You mm. kind of you know you can end up being something you're not and it's exhausting. And at some point you've got to face yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, this is who I am. And and that's great. I think we sort of, well, I personally went through that in my twenties, probably into my thirties as well, where, you know, it took me a long time to just sort of be able to say, okay, this is me. And that's, that's a fantastic thing. I guess with the podcast, I just thought I can have all these weighted expectations I can listen to other people's podcasts who are doing it really well, who are further down the road than me. Or I can just say, do you know what? I'll keep it really simple and I'll just do what I think works. I'll just follow my gut. And you know what? If I don't get it right, then I can tweak it. I'll do one season and I'll see what works, what doesn't. And it's just, yeah, it's great. I don't, I don't think the podcast is amazing. That's not me putting myself down. It's just that I know that Every single one I do gets better and better. Yeah. I'll learn something technical that I was doing wrong before, or I'll f- realize that there's a better way to interview someone that maybe getting in touch with them a week before and having a sort of pre 10 minute chat on the phone might be a really good idea, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and, and this is the other thing about being a creative. You worry that when you start to get that confidence in what you're doing, that you're being arrogant in some way. But I did turn to my husband. I was painting the inside of our um, massive food cupboard, this huge, lovely old cupboard we've got in our old house. And I was painting it black. And um, I was listening to Morag, the episode I did with Morag Myerscoff recently. And Tom came down for a cup of tea to make me one. And he said, how's it going? And I paused it and I went, oh, this is good. (laughs) And I actually got a really nice message from Morag a couple of days later saying, now I haven't really... I don't really like to listen to my interviews or read back any interviews I've done, but I have actually listened to this and it was absolutely brilliant. And I was like, yes, 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 Amazing. yes. And it's just such a nice boost. So it's taken me a, a season and a half, but I think I've finally got into it. But then there was another episode I did recently and it was a bit flat. Again, it's just realising you're human. You're going to have yeah. good days and you're going to have bad days. You're going to have some guests that are very shy and introverted and they're not going to be necessarily bringing the, the noise, bringing the kind of personality yeah. and the, the because they're very relaxed. I Weirdly, it's those episodes that end up being just as popular because yeah. that, that's well, what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to choose guests based on how much energy they had. I wanted to choose a, a vast range of different guests whether they were just starting out or whether they'd been around for a long time. And I wanted to get that kind of mixture. So that's the, that's the difficulty. You know, when you're very young, you might not have a huge amount of experience behind you and therefore you might not have as many stories as perhaps somebody 20 years older than you. But it's so interesting to listen to them and how they're sort of finding their way in life. And the feedback you get from those lesser known names mm. People really like it. And I, I was asking my husband, Tom, why, why do you think they, like, it's not that I doubt that they wouldn't be popular. It's just, you assume that it's going to be the big names that get the big listens. Yeah. And they do, but I, I've had guests who are just entering the uh, industry, who've just graduated and they've ended up with way more downloads than 
some huge famous name and and that just that's fantastic i love that i think it's often that those people are slightly more relatable because we've found that with yeah. a lot of feedback we've got on, the, on our show is the fact that people are so used to listening to if people are not in the entrepreneurial space who are kind of middle-aged white americans who've got multi-million dollar companies and it's like that's so far away from where you are it's like yes if they're saying something and they're telling stories you can be like okay, cool, I can listen to a story and maybe see a bit of myself in it. But then as soon as it's someone from, who maybe has gone to your university, is in the same city as you are, is a similar age to you are, I feel like you get a lot more from that personally because those people's stories relate so closely to yours. You can like pitch yourselves alongside them. And especially if it's, I feel like a lot of people listen to podcasts as a way to help enrich themselves and help like grow. So if they can see like, actually this person really similar to me has done this to grow, then actually my route to success might be down a similar route rather than just looking at like well how did bill gates get famous it's like well that's so unrelevant to most people that actually yes it might be a bigger name but it's not going to be as good an episode and i think where episodes do really well is when people listen to them find that kind of thing in common with themselves and then share it with someone else that they know who's probably similar to them and be like oh you should listen to this too because i got a lot from it and I think yeah. that that's where things really start to spread. I think mm. one of the things about De Creative definitely. Boom as well is it, I feel like you've always done that. You've always championed the, like, it doesn't matter how much of a following or how fake, quote unquote famous the the different people that you featured have been. It's it has always felt to me that Creative Boom has gone after, I speak I speak about Creative Boom, like it's this separate entity that it's not your <laughs> brainchild, but, but um, Creative Boom is always featured, like you featured us when we were just beginning. We had no, we had no audience. And that's like how, how we first started talking years and years and years ago. Was that Graffiti Life? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that was, that was our company, which we started in 2010. And like, I remember when you featured us, it was like, it just felt like the hugest thing. It was like, I remember yeah. phoning my mum and like, oh yeah, we're on Creative Boom. She's like, what's that? Sounds good. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's on the internet. You wouldn't know about it. But um, that is, that's great. But yeah, I just feel like you've always been, you've always, you've always pioneered talent when you've seen that there's talent there, regardless of audience size. I suppose that comes from seeing that there was a lot of, I don't know, there was so many great platforms and there still are obviously so many different kind of magazines it felt like there wasn't really anything back then and there probably were, but for, for me, I just thought, where's all the kind of um, platforms to champion the emerging, you know, the people who haven't really been represented yet. And I guess I started it just to sort of help some friends out on Twitter that I've been friends with for over, well, how long have we all been on Twitter? Over a decade? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, I built my whole platform on Twitter just by talking to people. I remember in the early days, I used to spend 17 hours on a Saturday, just talking to people. <laughs> and my husband would like shout down the stairs. He was my boyfriend at the time. And he would say, Katie, you, um, you come into bed. And I was like, yeah, in a minute, I'm just talking to someone in Canada. <laughs> 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 yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, it was great. I loved it. I think I just felt like I wanted to give back. I had all this spare time after losing all my freelance clients after the, um, global recession that I just wanted to do something. And then I really started to get into it. And I was like, oh, this is great fun. I really love writing about all these people. And back then it was just really simple stuff like uploading and going, oh, this is Adam and David and they run this website and do all this amazing work. And that would be it. It was, it was great. It was great fun. And then it kind of turned into this beast 
You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. Which I had to then reel back in. And yeah, yeah, it's, gosh, it's really it interesting. The it's gone through sort of several evolutions, hasn't it? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a work in progress, and it still is. It's I think it's at the best place it's ever been in its um, journey. I'm happy with how it looks and how it works and functions. And we've super lucky to have a team of writers now. And yeah, it's all very surreal. I find it really, really bonkers that this is what I do full time now, but I, I just can't imagine myself doing anything else. At what stage did it go from, this is something where I'm helping my friends on Twitter to obviously it's going to be taking up a huge amount of your time and where you sort of realize I'm going to have to turn this into a business in order to it's going to have to pay its own way. What was that kind yeah, of moment? I think I was really stubbornly refusing to make any money from it for a long time because I just didn't feel like it should. Mm. And I always hated these magazines and websites where they were just, especially because it was really sad seeing what was happening and it's still happening to a lot of the kind of um, news sites, um, especially the local ones that are just covered in adverts and, you know, just trying their yeah. best to, survive because of Facebook and Google and all the rest of it. Um, I don't know. I just, I think I, I, I left radio journalism and went into PR um, when I was about 20, 25, 26. And then I only lasted a year working for a PR agency in Manchester, very reputable. And they were great, but I just, I, I just couldn't, I was a rebel. I just couldn't work for someone else. So my partner, Tom said, why don't you just go freelance? And I didn't know anything about it. He'd been doing it for a couple of years. And so he just sort of helped me get started. And I left with lots of clients and then was doing really well. And then the year after that, I lost all my clients because of the recession. And that's when I started Creative Boom. And what weirdly happened was Creative Boom was just this little hobby, this little thing that kept me sane because PR was so soul destroying. Mm. But it helped me buy a house and it helped me have a life. Radio journalism wasn't very well paid. The two kind of just intertwined and grew together. I kind of lost focus on it a couple of times because the PR stuff was starting to make good money and I was starting to grow a business and I grew an agency with staff at one point. But I had a Don Draper moment. I don't know why I refer to Don Draper, but there's a moment in Mad Men when he looks out the window and he gets up and he walks out of this conference room. I think he just goes to a hippie retreat or something. And I had yeah. a similar moment where I just kind of thought, what am I doing? This is just destroying me. I can't be on this treadmill anymore. And it was awful because I had staff and office space and lots of clients. And I was like, oh, how am I going to sort of get out of this? I hate it. And Creative Boom was just still this little side thing. So what I did was very sensibly started to downsize the PR business naturally. So staff wouldn't get hurt, clients wouldn't get hurt, and obviously we wouldn't get hurt. And I started to put more time into Creative Boom because that's what my passion was. Mm. I wanted to go back to journalism and I wanted to focus on art and design. So it kind of just very naturally happened over, I'd say, four or five years where the PR side downsized to, to eventually nothing, which was very, very deliberate. And Creative Boom... I just, I think I started to take it really seriously commercially probably about four or five years ago. 
And I've just been working on improving it ever since. It's It's been a lot of hard work because it's it's basically you're existing in, a, in an industry where it's changed so much because of the impact of the internet and everything's very fast paced and changing because of how social media is changing and all the algorithms and everything. But in a way, I've kind of chosen a really difficult path. But just this year, in typical kind of pandemic realisation fashion, I just let my last PR client go and said, right, that's it. I'm now full time on Creative Boom. And so it's been a very gradual journey over the last 12 years. And whenever anybody gets in touch with me and says, oh, I love what you've done with Creative Boom. How can I do it? I'm like, oh, don't do it. (laughs) No, I never say that. I just say, look, I could tell you my formula. However, I've forgotten most of it because if it was a cookbook, it would be, it would fill a library. Mm. And my recipe is not going to work anymore because the world has changed. Publishing has changed. Social media has changed. I feel awful for saying that. It's not like I'm trying to hide any secrets. It's just it it was always this creature, this living being that just came about from making a ton of mistakes, testing lots of things and really a huge dose of hard work and good luck, you know? Yeah, I suppose like so. the key there is giving birth to the idea in the first place. It's like, that's what people need to do if they want to get to where you are. It's like, just start something because the yeah. route that's going to happen, like you can't predict, you don't know what's going to happen. Like we didn't know the past year of the world was going to happen. And it's like, you no one could predict for that. And it's happened and we just have to get on with it. And it's like, if they were following any form of recipe, last year would have come up and that would have thrown everything off. So it's like, just start something and just see where that takes you. Because as long as you're putting all your effort in and heading some in in a direction then that's going to be better than just trying to like read through someone else's recipe and then try and get there yourself yeah definitely I mean there's there's plenty I can share I can tell lots of people not what to do I can like you know if anybody wants to sort of you know is thinking of starting a magazine or a platform more than happy to like have a chat it's just um yeah it's it's 12 years I can't remember what I was doing last year you know never mind 12 years ago when it, when we first started. I mean, we've gone through tons of logos and different layouts on the platform and different sections and trying to do too much, trying to do too little. I remember there was a um, point where you changed the website design and you like doubled your viewership. Yeah, every time we've changed it, actually, it's gone up, which is really interesting. Um, we haven't changed it for a while, not since 2017, when we introduced the little moving eyes yeah. as our icon, because... When we were working with Samantha Wilkinson, who is who who is a fantastic designer um, based in the Northwest, oh, Samantha was fantastic. She she just basically sat down with us, and and I was explaining to her how Creative Boom was always about other people's work, so we couldn't really try and do anything fancy with the web design. It had to be something yeah. that was, you know, just let other people's work breathe. Mm. But then when she came back with some ideas, she came back with these little eyes for for um a little kind of mascot so to speak because i was trying to convey to her that creative boom i'd always wanted it to feel friendly and warm like a sort of embracing hug that you know you're not alone out there if you're just starting out or if you know you're changing careers whatever the creative community is warm and wonderful but i just wanted the platform to sort of emulate that and make everybody feel like it was 
you know, just just this place that they felt safe. So she came up with these friendly, quirky eyes. And then whilst we were looking at the design, Tom um, said, oh, I could probably animate those. So they move around with the cursor. And I was like, oh, that's that's a great idea. And so we've just done that. And there were loads of other plans to play with the eyes. But in the end, we just thought that subtle little design touch was was enough and didn't really need to do much more than that, really. Just keep it sort of, keep it relaxed. <laughs> Going back to when you had the agency, what were your biggest like lessons and takeaways from that? Because I always find it quite interesting, the difference between entrepreneurs and freelancers and how sometimes you might pick the wrong route and actually that by picking the right route to start with might save you a lot of time. In all honesty, I think we just found ourselves busier and busier. So we took on staff and we just sort of fell into that trap of growing an agency because that at the time was what you did. And, you know, there were parts of it that we really enjoyed. We had some great people who work with us and they've got on to do some wonderful things. And there were some great projects that we worked on. But it was just, I'm a free spirit. And obviously, the more you start to run a company that's got staff and all these other obligations, the more you feel sort of hemmed in and pinned down. So I think it just revealed to me that okay, I could do that. I could, I could grow an agency and I could go down that path. And really we just kind of, without sounding naive and silly, we just fell into it and didn't really have time to stop and think about what we were building and doing. We obviously wanted to do something and make something great and do something good with our career. Cause I, I was running it with my husband, Tom, and it still exists. It's just evolved into something that's a bit more digital. And funny enough, most of the clients we still work with it's just that I'm not involved anymore mm. because I've gone on done this other thing. So I feel you have to sort of really, if you're in a privileged position, I mean, I say privileged, it was a lot of hard work doing the two things. And Creative Boom did go through a couple of years of neglect. I, I will say that. But it was just it was just realizing that you can you can do these things. And you can build these things, but if you're not enjoying it, you have to change tact. You have to sort of say, gosh, actually, this is the scariest thing. This thing's working, but actually I don't want to do it anymore. And that's kind of why I, I moved away from it. It wasn't easy. I mean, some people said, why didn't you just keep it going and have somebody else run it? And I was like, yeah, I, no, I can't be bothered. It, so- it sounds like a nice idea, doesn't it? But I mean, that's never going to be the case because... You never, you, you'd always have to be involved. Yeah, mm. There'd always be an element of it sort of hanging over you. So I think I did, I did about 10 years of it and that was enough and I needed a new chapter. Um, so, I mean, wow, it was fantastic. What can I say? It was wonderful adventures in Manchester. We had various offices and did some crazy things and it was, it was good. I mean, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, you know, <laughs> we were learning as we were going along. I just you have to sort of go down a path, don't you? And you look around at some point and go, actually, I'm not very happy doing this. Yeah. I need to turn around and go back that way. It's the same with us. I mean, we, at our, at our largest, I think we were 13 members of staff with, within our agency. And it got to a stage, like certainly like Adam's stepped back from the business quite significantly. Um, I, I'm still there sort of quite a lot. And then our business partner, Yona is, is very much still involved, but what you spend most of your time on is dealing with people rather than actually doing the thing that you started to do in the first place. So I think there's a, yeah. I think there's a magic sort of 
I mean, I'm sure Daniel Priestley would be able to give us the exact figure of how many members of staff it is the perfect balance of allowing you to sort of delegate the stuff that you don't want to do while still being involved with the stuff that you do want Wasn't to do. Wasn't it 20? Um, no, actually, um, he says not to get past 12 if you want to be, what is it, uh, boutique, is it, Adam? But yeah, I think he talks about it being like 12 people is your limit because as soon as you hit 13, then that's the point where these people start going for lunch here, these people start going for lunch here, and it stops being that kind of close family-esque unit of everyone knows what everyone's doing all the time to actually these people are more friendly with these people and you start to get divides. But yeah, I just think we mm. we put on a pedestal the idea of having a large team and really it's about the the more I live my life, the more I realise that all we have is time and it's about how that time is spent is the most important thing that we can do. Yeah, of course it is. I think when you're in your 20s, you've got all this energy to do something and build something in your 30s too, <laughs> depending on how hard you worked in your 20s. The thing that fascinates me is when I talk about this to people and they're like, oh, right, okay. And the implication being, you know, you somehow failed. But failure is like just one of the best things that you can you can experience. I wouldn't have said that we would we'd have failed. The the business still exists. It's just a completely different sort of animal mm. now, I guess. It's and I'm not like proud of or of it in the you know, I'm not like oh my god, we failed. <laughs> That's terrible, you know. I'm just it, I suppose there's this kind of concept with people sometimes that change is somehow this terrible thing. You know, because I me and Tom are always changing things. We we we're quite um we like to change things. We like to improve things. How can we do things better? And um, the feedback from some people is, God, you two are always moving or you two are always changing. You're always like doing something else. Like, I'm like, what's wrong with that? Like that has been probably one of the fundamental reasons why I've been able to build a platform from nothing because I've not been afraid to go, okay, this isn't working. I need to do something else. I remember I came out with this design, which was mobile ready first back in, gosh, it must have been 2010, maybe a little bit after that. I don't know. And it was a complete, complete disaster. You know, there was like all this kind of web traffic that just dropped off overnight and we really messed up. But I was convinced it was the right thing to do. And then they got to a point where my pride was sort of going, I think now, <laughs> Katie, it's time to sort of just except that this was not a good idea. And then you change it and you do something better and that's how you learn and it's how you grow. And unfortunately, you have to do it all in front of other people these days, you know. So yeah. everybody sees your vulnerabilities and your kind of, you know, mistakes and your changes. Yeah, I think. And that's that, that's the thing, isn't it? When they see this thing that you've been doing for 12 years, they're like, oh, it's great, it's so good. Like, and I'm like mm, yeah, but... Actually, I, I think there's so much more we could do and it's come so far. And, you know, if only you could have seen what it looked like just back then, it would probably make you realise that actually we're all on a journey. We're all on a different path. Yeah, I suppose like change is one of those things that is really, really scary. But the more you change and actually experience change, the more you get used to it. I suppose it's like anything. Like It's always scary at the start, but then once you've done it so many times, you're just not scared at all. It's like public speaking or something it's like you go on stage a hundred times the hundredth time you're gonna be a lot less scared than you were the first time so i think it's like one of those things that if you do fear change then maybe you need to change some more stuff to realize that when you do change them the whole world doesn't end and then actually it's going to allow you to evolve and 
or pivot or do whatever it is in the future when it needs to be done. You have to stop think, seeing life as you're climbing a mountain, you know, there's going to be dips and there's going to be other mountains and there's going to be, you get to the top of that mountain, you realize there's a better mountain over there. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, you might feel like you've got it all one day and the next day things might completely change. And it's just about sort of taking your expectations down a notch and just embracing what's happening now. And okay, what, what small problem can I fix today? What little job can I tackle in the next week that can make myself or my business or my side project better? And that's the way I've sort of been approaching everything recently, rather than thinking about the, the big mountain. I'm like, okay, what, what's the next bit? And when can I stop for a brew and a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you kind of like formalize that in any form of like to-do lists or anything that's kind of like a this is what I'm going to do for the week yeah definitely I'm definitely more I've always been quite structured I learned that in my early days working for a PR agency they were great at sort of teaching you how to sort of manage your you know workload and all the rest of it and actually still to this day I follow their system and so I do status reports with our clients with Creative Boom um, and I do kind of I use a really nice app on the Mac called Things which is just sort of like a digital uh, tick um, task manager which is just really really simple but it really really helps keep keep on top of things and then on a daily basis I write a kind of brain dump it might all be on my computer but I will write the list out manually as well because for me it's therapy it gets everything out of my head and I know I can sort of then put the list to one side close the laptop and go downstairs and relax and and so yeah I have I have systems in place and I have schedules and I have a hell of a lot of organization because otherwise I think I'd just be running around in a circle and going mad. Um, what about you? What do you have systems? Do you have calendars? And I have Adam. How do you cope with all the podcasting? It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think we're quite fortunate in the fact that we launch every single Friday. So I almost kind of, my week revolves around the podcast. So it's like, Monday, that's when I'll start editing the podcast. As soon as I can get that done, get that over to David, then David will listen to it and then we'll try and record an intro for it on like Wednesday or Thursday. And then Friday morning is when I'm kind of collecting everything together, getting it uploaded. And then the next week happens and it repeats. So that's kind of like a almost a set amount of time that it works like that. And then we've started using, because obviously we're not together now, we use kind of calendars a lot now for kind of, this is where this guest goes. This is what is going to happen here. And I think... I always just kind of like at the start of the week, open up the thing, just check through what we've we got on that week. And then I'm never thinking further ahead than a week. It's just kind of like just taking everything as it comes, but kind of making sure that things are plugged in. Because I think if for me, if I start thinking about too many things in the future, then it gets stressful and I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. So it's actually just breaking it down to yeah. this individual task I've got to do at a time. Yeah, you get very overwhelmed really well. if you have too much on, don't you? Oh yeah, like I have a breakdown. Like it, it, I'm so bad at... <laughs> But I've kind of managed to kind of develop it in a way that, okay, well, this I'm going to do these things one at a time in this order, and then that's going to keep me sane. Whereas, yeah, if I've got a million things, I'm well, just, that's what I do is I a million can't... things. <laughs> I just yeah. I just have it all rattling around in my head, and I've I've started to to this year actually I've started to to have a to do list, but I, I I'm not sure how well it's going because I always forget to check it. I I think it's it's habit formation, isn't it? So. Sometimes if I if I find myself with a spare hour, then I can go to the list and I can be like, okay, I can work on that. But I'm typically carrying 
all of this stuff in my head and then I'll go for a walk and I'll find a wall or a, or a shop that's been boarded up because of Corona and I'll go, well, I'd really like to paint on that. And then that means that anything that I had planned completely gets forgotten because I get then get up at 5am oh and go and paint that. So I, my, I'm all over the place. But luckily I have a responsibility to Adam where the podcast has to get done. So that sort of does bring... The, the same way that it brings sort of form to his week, it brings form to my week as well. We um, also use an editorial calendar so we know what's coming up. So, you know, everybody's on board and, and knows what to expect. And there's sort of certain structures around the content, you know, certain amount of tips articles or an interview a week or that kind of thing. It's 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 quite a lot. But I think if you've got your lists and your status reports, which are my favourite with Excel, and um, you've got everything in place everyone knows what they're doing I'm organized but I'm also a bit of a space cadet so that's how I cope with life and I think that's how I just do all these kind of different things without really kind of letting them overwhelm me too much because I'm the sort of person who will get into a car and I've got to go somewhere and I don't know where I'm going but it will be when I'm in the car with five minutes to spare when I'm supposed to sort of leave and then I'll look up where I need to go. Yeah, you know, what, I just I don't I, do. <laughs> I don't overthink it. It's it's the way I I cope. It's it, yeah. it's how I've kind of got here without like you know dying. <laughs> I think one thing that I I really do as well is try and make sure that I have time to be creative as my priority in the week. Like because I think that's where things have got lost to me in the past when it's like you get rushed away with the work and then you don't find any time to be creative. Whereas now I find time to be creative and then fit the other things around there because I feel like it's working out what's important to you, making sure that that becomes top of your to-do list. I also find that if you have like a big, there's always one big job for each day, isn't there? That you might have been sort of like putting off for a couple of days. I always find that, you know, you need to sort of have a shower, roll your sleeves up, cup of tea, toast, sit down at your desk, no distractions and just get on with it and get it done and then when you've done that, you just feel epic. And then all the other kind of little things on your list that you needed to do just sort of are frankly really not that overwhelming and you get them done. It's brilliant. That's how, that's how I work anyway. And it, it has always worked. You know, whether I've been like writing stories for, you know, just before I go on live on the air and read the news at six o'clock, which was always terrifying until the point I got really kind of like laid back about it and I would just sort of leave it 10 seconds before I went into the booth you know just notulent mucking around with the other presenters <laughs> you know it's quite funny how you sort of adjust but anyway just uh, just sort of I, I suppose it's just confidence repetition and the more you do yeah. the thing the more you're, you that it's like I can leave something to the last minute because I've done it so many times it's like okay I've got this because I did it before and I'll do it again it's it's always a bit scary when you start off and do something fresh but you find your sort of way of doing things and and then yeah you get um you get better that's that's the exciting bit isn't it where you kind of like okay I've done that I know how to swim and now I'm going to learn the butterfly exactly <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned when we first started um, that you've been doing a little bit of mentoring. What is kind of the the current thread amongst the mentees that, that people are struggling with that you're seeing? I haven't been doing it officially. I just sort of tend to collect lots of people who are, you know, messaging, reaching out on social media. So I'll sort of, you know, form friendships with them and sort of keep in touch and giving them kind of my advice where I can. The general feeling is is actually quite positive a lot of them have started side projects that are going really well 
and a lot of gaining confidence. I mean, it's amazing what's come out of the pandemic, really, all the creativity mm. and the opportunities and the realizations. You know, I think I think a running theme is that, oh, right, I can actually do this. I can actually start this platform. Yeah. I can start this podcast. I can I can call myself an artist. One um, of my friends who I've not been mentoring, but we've been supporting each other, she took the leap recently and decided to focus purely on type design, which is her passion. And it's been the best thing she ever did because it's just paid itself in dividends. You know, she's just, she's doing so well because of that. Um, was before she so just think, sort of creating work that was all over the place and it wasn't like niche down? Not, 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 not that she was creating work that was all over the place. It was just that, you know, she was doing pretty much what we all do, which is try to sort of make money and, and survive and, and, (laughs) you know, and, and not, I suppose not all of us realize we have the, not all of us have the luxury, but for those of us that do, I mean, I suppose it's a risk whenever you change something in your career, when you're working in the creative industries, but, um, for her, she needed to earn money. So to, to make that switch from, yeah, doing, calling herself a sort of graphic designer and doing various different types of things to then sort of really focusing on one thing, that is a, you know, it's a huge risk. It's a shift. Uh, and it might feel and look small to you and I, but to her, yeah. it was massive. And actually what it brought was bigger clients and more money and you know but the main thing is she's doing something she really loves Mm. and and that's shining through and probably as a result of that that's bringing you know bringing the new work and and the new clients so it's great i think it's really interesting where when you're making that leap it's like oh well i've got current so i've got as an example 10 clients this one thing i want to go into only one person's going to want me for that so i'm going to lose nine of these clients and it's like taking that risk to kind of move things over to losing 90% of your initial income then actually once you specialize you'll probably find that more people will come to you because you're specialized in that exactly and and for me the transition from my PR agency which we've been downsizing for a long time and it's been transitioning into what Tom's focusing on which is digital software development all that kind of thing and it will probably be called something else eventually. It's It was only this year. In fact, she, my friend inspired me because it made me realise that I'd been holding on to, clinging for dear life onto this old life of mine that I'd actually in my head given up on four or five years ago. Mm, but yeah. I'd sort of kept it there because I suppose maybe for the freelance mentality, but also the fact that after the global recession of 2008, my goodness, we just all worked really hard, didn't we? Because we wanted to survive. And I think I think I just kind of was clinging onto it. I was like, oh, but even what was funny was I'd started to not get inquiries for quite a while because my heart just wasn't in it at all. And I wasn't pushing it. I wasn't saying I was doing anything. And if anybody did come to me, I would find a way to sort of say, oh, I'm too busy at the moment or, yeah, you know, all these kind of things. And the signs were there, but I just couldn't let it go. But then I just had this moment of realisation and determination. I was like, I have to let this go. I have to do Creative Beam. Creative Beam is my my baby. And and actually Creative Beam had been doing really well for four or five years. So it was like, what am I doing? You know, why don't I just put all my energy into that and focus purely on that and see where it goes? And you know what? If it doesn't work out, Katie, you've been here before. You're going to be okay. When you first started, I'm sure you were probably aware of similar 
kind of projects or blogs that were around at the time. Do do any of those still exist in any form? And is there something like what is the power of longevity of just kind of keeping going and not stopping with a project? I think it's really difficult. I think I've seen a couple of things fold recently um, and it's really sad, um, but I would not have put them in the same league as myself, even though other people have, have told me recently that I am now sort of up there with these other sort of names. I'm like, oh, am I? Oh, right. That's, that's good. You're an institution. <laughs> oh God, that's embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it, <laughs> Well, it was really weird because I, I can't mention any names, but there was this really nice guy that I know who's the editor of one of these other platforms. And they said that they took Creative Boom as their inspiration when they were going from just being a print magazine to launching a, an online. I was like, oh, my God, really? You know, and that's not be, being self-deprecating or like not believing in my platform. It's just I'm genuinely a space cadet. I don't stop to think about it because if I do, it's just too much and my head will explode. Because it's it's now getting like 7 million people on the site every year from, you know, 500 a year yeah. <laughs> or something yeah. like that when it just started. So it's it's just, it's amazing. But yeah, I there have been some that have gone. I'm in touch and friends with many and you support each other as best you can. It's really difficult. I've seen quite a few evolve and turn into something else, which has been great. When I've gone on press trips before, I was in New York last February, actually. And um, a nice lad that I met there ended up writing for Creative Boom. It's really sad to have seen people come and go. I don't know quite how we've survived, really. It's pure old stubbornness and, you know, just believing in it so much. Because I just, I love art and design and I love doing what I do. And I just, for me, if I gave up on this, it would just be giving up on my kind of, you know, my thing. So if it stops working and it some, you know, sort of fizzles out and it's no longer, then I will probably just give it a warm hug and let it go. And, and I'll just say, okay, that was fantastic. I learned so much from the experience. What's my next adventure? And I think you've got to approach life like that because otherwise... You know, you you end up clinging onto things that no longer really sort of give you any kind of benefit, I suppose. And that's what I'm always searching for, always searching for the the meaning, you know. My dad said to me when I started university, he said to me, if you can find a career and do something that you love, then you're you're a success. And I've always held onto that dearly. And so the minute I stop enjoying something, um, that's when you'll know because Creative Boom will go on to another, you know, universe. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be around for a while because it's, uh, yeah, it's such a great platform. It's a great resource for creatives. And when you said it earlier in the interview, you mentioned it sort of being like a warm hug. It is like a warm hug. And it is, it is you. It's like there's so much of you that comes out in it. And I think you are such a, a warm and giving person to the creative community. I think we are all very lucky to have you and your like hard and diligent work over the years. So it's certainly like, it's been always been great for us when we've been featured and um, it's a, it's a fantastic platform. So yeah, big, big round of applause from us to you. Um, please oh, let you. the listeners know where they can find you online. If they didn't know already, just bloody Google creative boom, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you say it. <laughs> oh, you, this is really lovely to be able to do this. It's um, creativeboom.com. And if you want to listen to our podcast, 
It's um, really easy. Just go to creativeboom.com forward slash podcast. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank, thank you, you Katie. so much. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. Boom.